give him a hand clap of praise. Let's do that. Uh, please take your seats. Uh, Pastor Mark is uh, off preaching today for another church up in Manchester, and uh, he uh, asked me to uh, come and speak uh, while he's out. So, uh, hence, I'm speaking today, and uh, my message is called The Father Heart of God Towards Us. The Father Heart of God Towards Us. And I'd like to uh, open this morning with a story. I'd like us to go back 12 years or so to the summer of 2005. And uh, we had just moved into Bible College uh, up in uh, Nantwich, and I was about to start studying for my degree in applied theology as part of my training to become a pastor. And at that time, my elder son George was three, and my middle son Simon was one, and Adam had yet to appear. He was not yet born. Now, our flat uh, in college had three bedrooms, our main double bedroom for me and Chloe, and then there was a smaller bedroom next to that, kind of joining on to that bedroom. And then Simon was so, he was still sleeping in a cot, uh, and so he had this smaller bedroom that joined onto our main bedroom. And then there was another bedroom, uh, a single bedroom down the corridor, and George, at the age of three, just had that room all to himself. Now, when you've got a young family, sleep becomes a precious commodity, doesn't it? Yeah? Anyone identify with that? Yeah? And so one Saturday morning, we were sleeping in a little bit, And early on this particular morning, George crept by us unnoticed to go and visit his brother. And we didn't notice that. We didn't didn't spot it. Now, you can usually tell when there is silence with young kids that something naughty is going on. You know, you get that silence around the house. You're like, what are you doing? And you're thinking there's this thing going on. Now, we didn't notice that because we were half asleep. Around 20 minutes later... A guilty-looking George came back through into our bedroom with paint on both his hands. He'd found some finger paints, and he'd decided to do some painting. Now, so I hauled myself out of bed, and I was treated to one of those unfolding situations that gets worse before it gets better. I went in to see Simon in his cot, and there was paint in some key places. In fact, there was paint in all the places you hope and believe that your three-year-old really wouldn't have touched. But there it was. First, there was paint all around the cowpole medicine bottle lid. Now, George had had a fair attempt at opening some of that infant medicine, but the child lock had prevented him. Thank goodness for that. Secondly, there was paint all around Simon's mouth. Now, why George decided that that was a good thing and a location for artistic effort, I really don't know. Thirdly, there was paint all around the plug socket. Now, I don't know how you might have felt about these discoveries yourself, but I was quickly jolted out of my fatherly naivety that, uh, and my simple hopes that George was just being good. And I had to start grasping that all these things I was hoping might not ever happen had, in fact, just happened right there and then. It really would be hard to pick three more controversial locations to do finger painting. A medicine bottle, lid your one-year-old brother's mouth, and a power supply. It's right there, isn't it? So we cleaned up Simon and his room, and we sat with George, and we said, hey, that's not really the right thing to do. And if you're going to commit a crime, you know, you don't really want to be using paint, do you? Um, The evidence is just all plastered around. Uh, As we get older, we start getting better and more sophisticated at hiding our wrongdoing, don't we? We can get better and better at having a private world. Uh, 
Having said that, I think at different stages for uh, Chloe and I as parents, it has been entertaining to see some of the different means by which our boys have tried to kind of hide lies and then not be very successful. Uh, So one of our boys, after uh, saying a lie, uh, he would kind of kiss the air. So he'd say, no, I I, I didn't have that biscuit. I'll be like, hmm, yeah, I'm not really sure you're telling the truth. Another one of our boys would try and stare you out through sheer force of willpower. And so you'd you'd come up with something, you'd ask him a question, he'd just go. And he'd be like, okay, weird. Uh, And then one of our other boys as well, uh, when he went through this phase, they kind of all go through about three to five, don't they? They they experiment with lying. One of our other boys did this kind kind of quick blinking. It was kind of like, no, no, I haven't had that. And you'd be like, okay, it's a dead giveaway. We know that you're not telling the truth. Parents everywhere generally do their best to oversee how their kids grow up. But as our kids get older and older, we do have to release them more and more to their own moral destiny, don't we? We just have to do that. Um, the father of Catherine Ryan, a, 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 sorry, a Canadian comedian who lives in the UK, sends her birthday cards. So her dad sends her birthday cards in which he still tries to speak into her character, even though she's obviously clearly left, left home and grown up and she's an independent lady. Uh, so she was on the one show on Friday night on the BBC and uh, she said that every year her dad buys her a birthday card and, uh, and then he crosses out those things in her birthday card that he feels don't really apply to her. And I just thought this was ever so funny. And I've got one of her birthday cards from this year up on the screen. So have a quick look. Uh, these are pictures of her birthday card from this year. So uh, it says, my daughter, what I love about you, I love the spirit of you. And then she's crossed out the grace with which. Uh, you welcome each challenge. And then he's crossed out the childlike wonder that still colors your days. So basically he's going through and picking out the bits that apply to her and then scrubbing out the bits that don't. Just sh- uh, show you the next picture. Uh, This says, I love the originality of you, your willingness to stand out from the crowd, uh, your unique perspective on what's happening in the world in your life. I love, and then he's crossed out the wisdom of you. And this is a dad just doing this to uh, his own daughter, just to kind of tease her a bit. The way that you trust your intuition. And then he's crossed out your unfailing commitment to doing the right thing. That's a birthday card and a half. And then it goes on. It goes on even more. And most of all, crossed out, I love the heart of you, the genuine compassion, empathy, friendship you offer to everyone you know. I guess it's pretty clear I love, this is the key one, everything about is crossed out, you. And on your birthday, I'm wishing you joy and blessings to you, my beautiful daughter and friend. So it's kind of done humorously and tongue in cheek. And it's a very funny thing to do. But maybe God does that a little bit with us. Like, he loves us to bits, um, but he, he kind of says, hey, you know, there's some things we can be working on, just like that dad uh, with his daughter. So this morning, I'd like to look at one of the parables of Jesus uh, that speaks directly into this matter, the release of our children to make their own decisions, and the moral dimension we have in our lives that all of us must learn how to handle for ourselves, but all the time with a heavenly father who loves us in view and in context, in the background of that uh, picture. So I'm going uh, to read out the parable of the lost son, which is in Luke chapter 15. Uh, you're welcome to follow that along in your own Bible, or, although I think our tech desk will put that up on the screen as well. So Luke, Luke 15, verses 11 to 32 say this. 
Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine. Uh, uh, Sorry, after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now the elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me, you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I think that the father figure in this parable, shows us three things that God thinks about us when he looks at us. Three things. I think the first thing comes across really clearly in this story is your family. When God looks at you and I, he thinks in his heart, your family. That's what he thinks over all of us today. Your family. That family bond is really, really strong from the father to the lost son. His heart is just to celebrate the return of the son, no matter how much mess he has been in. He is just delighted to get his son back, isn't he? In fact, he he says, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. Now, this younger son goes through a very common feeling we can all have when we've messed up. I'd, I'd say every single person in this room has felt this feeling, which is that we feel that we've kind of ruled ourselves out of God's family because of our behavior, We feel that, don't we? But reflect for just a moment. I would never, ever have put my little three-year-old George out of my family because of that finger pain episode. I just wouldn't do that as a father. What kind of a father would do that? No matter the kind of mess we get into, we have a heavenly father who loves us. And he considers us 
part of his family. Although, can I share a little epic parenting fail with you? Um, uh, we just moved into Bible college, and uh, we sent George to his grandparents for the weekend to get him out of the way while we were moving loads of big, heavy stuff. And uh, we'd finished that, and we rang up the gra- uh, Chloe's mum and dad to organize to collect George and bring him back. And we had Simon with us because he was still one. And um, so they put him on the phone, and then this little voice said, do you like your new home? And I was like, oh dear, we've not told you that you're actually coming back from grandparents. You're going to come and be with us. And, and he thought that we'd given him away. Ah, oh, stabbed to the heart. I'm a bad dad, aren't I? Do you forgive me? Yeah, that wasn't great. And that, but that was a mistake, okay? Right. When the younger son comes to his senses in the distant land, he returns to his father But notice in the story how he has downgraded himself out of the family and into the status. He starts to think of himself as like the status of one of his father's slaves. And we do that sometimes, don't we? We operate a downgrade on ourselves because we know we've behaved badly. But the father is having none of it. And that's how our heavenly father treats you and me in his heart. God sees us as his family. The spiritual fact here is that when we start following Jesus, we literally transition from being dead and apart from God, and we become alive again. That's spiritually what actually happens to you. And so choosing to follow Jesus is deciding from our end of things anyway, to make our relationship with our Heavenly Father alive again, even if we feel like we might have killed it off with our behavior. There was a teenage girl who fell pregnant. And uh, when she found out, she was terrified of her father's response. Uh, He was a minister, and she felt that she would be letting him down deeply uh, because of what had happened. So she ran away to some relatives, and she begged them to let her stay there. But her father found out uh, where she was, and he came round that same evening. She even tried to hide in another part of the house. But her dad found her, and although she was dreading his reaction, he hugged her close, and he said, I love you no matter what. You and this baby are family. You're coming home with me. And she collapsed in floods of tears, and she went home with her dad. And I only wish that all such stories could end with the loving father heart of God getting straight through the mess that we can get ourselves into. You know, we can all rehearse that speech where we tell God what we've done wrong, can't we? In fact, we've probably done that speech a lot with God. But God's heart is always to forgive our failings because to him... We are family. You and I are family to God. So first thing, when God looks at us, he says, you're family. Second thing, when God looks at us, he says, I love you. I love you. It says this in the parable. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And just like the father in this story, God is filled with compassion for you. And he's just waiting for you to turn to him. If we had to choose one single picture of God's love for people from the whole Bible, it would be this one. that The father doesn't chase the son to the distant country. He respects his free will too much for that. He wants his son to make up his own mind for himself, to come and be with him freely and fully. But the picture is... The father's heart is one of love to the son. He loves the son. If there's one picture that you want to take from the Bible, the whole Bible, all 66 books and whatever it is, that's the picture that God has this huge love for us. 
But he can't chase his son to the far-off land. He has to let his son make up his own mind because love cannot be extracted from someone or chased out of them. It has to come voluntarily from them, from their place of free choosing to do so. God's love for us is much bigger than we can ever really grasp. In fact, the Bible tells us that God is love itself. The biggest of all the many characteristics that God has is that he loves us and he's filled with compassion for us. He always loves us and he always has compassion for us. Don't ever underestimate the strength of our Heavenly Father's love for us. It is enormous. There's a film called The Impossible, uh, which tells the story of a family split up because of the Boxing Day tsunami uh, back in 2004. And we're going to show you a very short clip from that film just now. So guys, if you could get that ready. Um, But in this clip, there's a boy called Lucas, and he's just been reunited with his brothers. And then he looks up and he sees, coming through the crowd he sees and realizes that his dad is still alive as well. And I want you to hold that picture of the dad's embrace around his sons. That is the picture of God's love for you. Watch the screen a minute. In praying for today, my sense is that there are some people who are, here, who are with us now who have an ache in here for that love from Father God. Maybe you wouldn't label it as an ache, but it's there. When God looks at us, he says, your family. When God looks at us, he says, I love you. And lastly, when God looks at us, he says, I'm pleased with you. God is pleased with you. You can just tell that the father is really pleased that the son has returned. Uh, Now, in a conversation, you normally acknowledge what the other person has said. You know, they say something, you say something, and it goes backwards and forwards like that. But in this parable, the father completely ignores the son's speech because he's just so pleased with his son coming back. He says this, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill. Let's have a feast and celebrate. It is such a great feeling when someone is really, really pleased with you, isn't it? Don't, don't you think? That's just such a lovely feeling. You know, in my family, I lost contact with uh, my biological father and all of his side of the family back in the 1970s. And when I got married, uh, Chloe and I started, and we started thinking about having a family for ourselves, I started thinking about that side of my own family. Now, I, know that I knew then that my biological dad had died in the 80s of an illness, so he wasn't around. But I found myself wondering, 
whether it might be possible that my grandfather might still be alive. So I did loads of research, and I eventually found that he was still alive. And I contacted him by email, and he was really, really pleased. He was absolutely delighted. In fact, I got an email back from him saying, Hello, grandson. Well, I put the voice in there. I mean, I hadn't heard him speak, but I'm imagining that's what he would say. It was just a great email. It was brilliant. He was so pleased. And he could have literally been anywhere in the world because both my parents had been in Zimbabwe uh, and, and lots of people left Zimbabwe in the 70s. But it turned out, when I found him, that he was living literally 20 miles away from Chloe's mum and dad. How about that for a coincidence? I didn't think, well, I don't think it was a coincidence, actually. I, I think that's a God thing. I really do. Now, he, my granddad was called Gordon, and he really was the perfect gent, I have to say. I remember the day we met up with him uh, in person for the first time. It was the day of George's second birthday. And he was just so pleased to meet us all. We didn't have to do anything or prove anything or say anything to him to kind of gain credit with him. He was just delighted with me and delighted with all of us. He was really pleased. And for him, he'd lost, you know, he'd lost contact with me as his grandson, and then he'd lost his own son through an illness, and yet here I was again, fully like returned and back, and not only that, he had a great-grandson that he could meet as well. I actually believe God reunited us, and for a few precious years, uh, he got to meet all three of his great-grandsons, so that was a, just a great pleasure for him. He was the perfect gent, and he was always so pleased to see us. Uh, I, ran, I went round there once and uh, watched a World Cup game with him. And uh, we kind of each had a glass of Coke and kind of sat in armchairs, you know, like you do with your gran and your granddad. Uh, well, I did anyway. Um, and uh, it was England versus Cameroon. I remember the match. And, and really, it, I don't know what happened in the match, but he just sat there so delighted that we could do that together. Like, no effort from me. It was just, hey, you're here. We're going to play, we're going to watch football together. You're my grandson. He once waited out on the drive with an umbrella before we got to his house, so that, just so that Chloe wouldn't get wet when she came in when we arrived. That's, gent, that's being a gent right for you there, isn't it? Don't you think? Don't we think we could have some men that could do that a bit more? Yeah? Yeah? So if you're a man in the audience, I want you to be really chivalrous and polite to every single lady that you meet. And that's not in my script. Just do that, okay? Because it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Granddad Gordon was just hugely pleased with me and with us as a family. And that's just a picture of how God is so pleased with us. We are family to him. He loves us and he is delighted with us. Now, as we draw to a close, I'm going to ask our worship team to uh, return to the platform. Uh, if Guys, if you'd like to just come on up. And it really is truly our privilege uh, today to see these people get baptized. It really is. And, you know, if you're watching, watching on and looking on, it's, you're present at a really special moment for each of these people who's taking this step today. I'm going to ask our, um, our hosting team just to come and take the covers off. We have a, you didn't know this, but there's like a kind of whole baptismal area under here. And we're going to lift those uh, covers off and there's water there waiting to uh, baptize people. I just want to briefly explain, just while they come and do that. Uh, so gents, wherever you are, come and lift the covers off. We're ready to go. Um, I just want to explain what baptism is. What we're saying with baptism is that we're going under the water and coming out again in front of everyone. We're, we're basically saying that Jesus has used his authority and his power as the Son of God to wash us 
spiritually clean on the inside of all the things that we've ever thought or said or done wrong. All those things that we might have done or said or thought wrong that have separated us from our Heavenly Father. Now, we've been praying for people to return to Father God this morning. You know, perhaps you you don't normally come to BCC. Perhaps you're one of our guests or perhaps you're just checking us out for the first time. We're just really delighted that you're here. But maybe there's something more for you this morning. Maybe there's an, an opportunity for you to step into that fatherly love that's waiting for you. Uh, we were up praying uh, on Friday night as a, a stronger men ministry, uh, and we prayed from 10 p.m. right through until 6 a.m. And there was a whole bunch of men just praying that uh, some people would come to know the Lord this morning. Amen. We did that in all integrity, and we, we just had a great time. It was just a brilliant, brilliant occasion. Uh, I paid for it yesterday, but I'm, I'm back, on, uh, back on form today. After our baptisms, we're going to offer you an opportunity to run back into your Heavenly Father's arms. I just want to close with one final thought. There's three things that we've heard today about Father Father God's heart towards us, that we're family, that he loves us, and that he's pleased with us. And those are the same three things that God speaks over Jesus at his baptism. And it's the same three things that he speaks over all of our baptismal candidates today. Uh, just read with me just this one last point. Uh, it'll come up on the screen. It says this in Mark chapter 1. Uh, it says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son. That's your family. I'm declaring that you are family, Jesus, whom I love. Jesus, I'm telling you in front of everybody that you are loved and I love you. With you, I am well pleased. Just like my granddad Gordon was well pleased to see me and my family. God's love for you is that it's so strong that he feels great pleasure at your presence. And so what God says of Jesus is exactly the same as what the father shows us in the story of the prodigal son. And it's exactly what God thinks about you and I. That's what he thinks about you and I this morning. And we just need to receive that into our hearts a little bit. Let's just receive that a moment. In fact, let's just have a moment of just being really still. Father God, I just pray that you would touch each and every heart in this room through the power of your spirit, that everybody would know your incredible love for them. Just now, right now, just do that. Thank you, Father. Just got a picture up on the screen of the Father's hand coming down out of heaven and our hand holding our Father's hand. And the three things that God would say to us is that you're family and I love you and I'm pleased with you. Now we're going to, should we do some baptisms? Yeah? Are we ready to do that? That's going to be great, isn't it? We're going we're gonna to do those in uh, alphabetical order. And... Um, uh, Beryl, we'd really like to pray for you because you talked about having this illness on, on film and we just feel really, we'd like to do that for you. Um, so uh, I'm just going to ask some of our pastors and elders and prayer team just to come and gather around Beryl. And Jason, would you be kind enough to pray for her? Is that all right? Come on out, Beryl. Yeah, and then we're going to baptize you straight after that, okay? Okay.